All right, well, good morning, everybody. Let's find our seats, get back to, uh, to our places. Places, places, places. <laughs> and ladies, I hope you got your chocolate and, and you eat it now, because if whatever's left, I'm going for it, all right? Whatever's left, I'm gonna take it out. It's gonna be a race between me and Rodney and Van, and, uh, and I can't say we won't be bruised up afterwards, so. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, it is good to see you, and it's uh, awesome to be with you guys this morning in, in worship. And um, let's, uh, let's get ready to open the Word of God. We're going to be in Psalm 78 this morning, so it's going to be our main text. Psalm 78. Might I also add my heartfelt, sincere, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there today. Thank you for all you do. Psalm 78, it's also going to be on our, the screen here behind me. Let's look at this and look at the first seven verses. It's a psalm of Asaph. He says this, he says, Oh, my people. Listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. For He issued His laws to Jacob, and He gave His instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. They in turn will teach their own children. Verse 7. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Let's pray over this word today. Father, thank You so much for giving us Your word that helps guide us, that helps lead us, that puts light in our path and helps us to know which way we ought to go, as well as how we are to live our life in a way that would honor you, in a way that would reflect Christ Jesus to this world. For I thank you, you're not a silent God, but you are alive. You are on the throne, and we are your people. And today as we open your word, I pray you would truly speak to us, guide us, lead us, and may we determine at this moment, for this next little bit of time, to be attentive, to give you our undivided attention to what your word is speaking to us, to what your voice is saying to us. May our hearts be open, soft, to receive. And oh God, may our lives be in a posture and a position to go forth and live this new life in Christ that you've given us. We pray and ask this now in Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement and wants that, say amen. amen. All right, well, that's good. Most agree and most want it. So that's a good start to today. Praise God. Well, listen, I, I, I want to talk to you today about a topic that I've called, this, the title of this message is called Stories of New Life. Stories of New Life. You know, the thing about this world is, is we're called as Christians to have this biblical worldview about the way we see life, the way we look at this world. It's supposed to be through the lens of the Bible. And the thing with that is we're faced with so many challenges and faced with so many problems in our world. And over time, over generations, this world has gotten very complicated. Issues have gotten sticky. Things have become, well, makes us frustrated and, and upset and in today's world, if you disagree with somebody, they say you hate them. 
And it's like we've forgotten how to just have good communication, good communion with one another, good understanding of, of each other in a way that, that demonstrates the patience and the love of Christ. And we live in this world where there's so, so many problems, there's so many issues. I mean, we can, the list is, is long of, of problems. But really, here's, here's where it can be traced back from, to Genesis 3, the fall of man. The fall of man. When Adam sinned, he disobeyed God, and he didn't do what the Lord asked him to do. He ate of the forbidden tree, and there was consequences to pay. And every problem in this world traces all the way back right there. That's the systemic issue. The problem lies right there because man thought this. Man thought, well, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Man thought, God is keeping me from something better. He just, just wants to suck the fun out of my life. He just, well, he's this cosmic killjoy that's out there. And he just, he made me and he says, here, have all this, but then he puts limitations on it. So he must really not know what real joy and real fulfillment and contentment is all about. I mean, if he did, why would he tell me not to go for that? And that looks good to me. That looks right to me. But as you know, we know in the word of God, what often looks right in a man's eye is not the correct thing. And it all comes back to the will of God. What does God say? What is his part in this? And, and so we have these, these problems, and we're supposed to look at this world through, through the Bible and, and have, have an idea about how to, how, to, how to chart the course, so to speak, how to navigate the way, and it's treacherous, and it's tumultuous, and it, it, it's, it's awful at times, but there's a lot of good involved in it because there are believers on this planet. Because there, there's Christ Jesus represented in the body of Christ in the church. And, and the thing, so we, we have all these concerns, we get these fears, we get these frustrations about, about everything. And it's kind of like, well, what do we do? What do we do? We got issues in our own country. We got, you have, you have, you name it, from poverty to homelessness to gender confusion to whatever, you can name all kinds of things in this world and there's, there's all kinds of problems and it creates these emotions and it creates these concerns. But here's what I want to tell you today about, about life and way God, what I believe God, his, his answer uh, for it is obviously in Christ, is Jesus Christ, the remedy for all of it. But, he, but Jesus functions and, and operates through, through people, through his people who have called on his name and who follow him, is that God always has a redemptive plan. He always had or has always had a redemptive plan, and he will always have a redemptive plan because his ultimate redemptive plan is that Jesus will come again, his second coming, his, his second uh, parousia will come back, he will be back, and he will redeem this world. He will turn it into the new heavens and the new earth, okay? And there will no longer be any problems again. A everything will be perfect as it was supposed to be. Jesus does fix it all. Jesus does save the world. He really does. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would, have, would, would not perish but have life everlasting. And friends, if you believe, here's the good news, you're going to live on for eternity in a good place. You're going to know what true joy, contentment, peace, and all that stuff is all about forever. And you'll never cry again in pain again. Okay, But on the opposite side, those who don't believe will, will perish. They will know forever what pain and torment is all about. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to choose pain or good, I I'm going to choose good. But the problem is many people don't these days because they feel like we lo you lose control. You lose control. And here's, here's, the, here's the reality of that. Yeah, we do, we do lose control when we choose Christ, but here's what happens. We gain freedom. We might give up our control, but we gain the freedom that Christ Jesus brings us. And it's so much better when he's in the driver's seat, when he's the one calling the shots, when he's the one pointing it out, when he's the one mapping the GPS system of life. He knows how to get you through that construction zone. He knows how to get you through that work in progress place of life. When, 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 when we feel like we're rotten and, and tore up and just broken, Christ Jesus has a way to bring healing and wholeness to our life because he is the answer. Amen. And so God has always had a redemptive plan from generation to generation, always has, he always will, and it continues to carry on. And here's what happens. He always, there's always been a remnant of people that God uses to tell their story, the story of how he lives in them to other people so that other people 
in our path can experience new life in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's what I want to talk to you today about, about stories, the stories of new life. Here in this scripture in Psalm 78, the, the, the writer points out in, in verses 3 and 4 and 7, he says, we have heard these stories, stories that have been handed down from generation to generation. And he says, we will tell the next generation. We will make sure we tell our story to the next generation so that this can happen, so that the next generation can put their hope anew in God. So that they don't forget. So that people coming after us will know the way. They will know what is true. They will know what is right. They will know what is real. And how else will they know except they have someone tell them our stories. You know, we all have stories, all of us. Every single one of us in here have a story uh, of, of life. They're all full of, our stories are full of good, they're full of bad, and they're full of ugliness. That's, that's just how it works. And today we're going to look at those stories, the stories of life, through, through the lens of, of our church's mission. That is the gospel, the gathering, and the great commission. And how that if saved by the gospel, and if we are involved in the gathering, the church, and if we understand that our life is to be on target with God's great commission, then here's what will happen. Our stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they'll begin to make sense. They'll begin to make sense. And through that, Jesus will be glorified. And through those stories, other people can know what real life, new life, is like in Christ Jesus. Because here's the, here's the, here's the thing. Every one of our stories matter to God. And they matter to other people. Every single one of them. So for the next few minutes, I, I want to share with you a little more of a personal side of my story through these three things, through the gospel, through the, through the gathering, and through the great commission. Let's look at this scripture, Romans chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Paul writes, he says, For I am not ashamed, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this good news, the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first, the Gentile, this good news, the gospel, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The gospel, Paul says, it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God. This summer will mark 25 years in my life since I became saved, since I was born again. 25 years this summer. And it's pretty amazing to look at that, to think back on that, to kind of reminisce 25 years of, of, of Jesus. I, I got to tell you this, without those 25 years of Jesus, I sure would hate to know what life would have been like. Because I know what it's been like in 25 years when my heart has been prone to wander and I think about the ugliness that could come out of that. And it oftentimes, at different times, when, when I got my way and it didn't turn out so good. You know what I'm talking about. I got any real believers in the house today. Anybody honest, anybody humble, anybody saying, yeah, I'm right there with you, pastor, yeah. The 25 years, I got saved at a youth rally 25 years ago in the summer. I was about 16 years old. And so... Uh, I just knew on my, on my way to that youth rally, I just sensed that something was, was different. I, I just felt inside. I felt, I felt moved. I felt kind of almost set up, if you will. Anybody ever been set up and, it, and, and it's like caught you by surprise and, and you know you were set up? That's how I felt. I felt like I was set up by God. All of us have a set up by God moment and moments in life where he surprises us, and he suddenly comes in, and he swoops in, and he's like, gotcha, you know? It's like, I, knew, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. And, and that's exactly what, what happened to me. It was kind of like what Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ compels me. Compels me. The love of Christ compels me. In other words, I don't have an option. I've been faced, I've been confronted with such love that I can't ignore it. I can't say no to this love. I, the love of Christ compels me. And that's exactly what happened in my life 25 years ago. And ever since, I've been walking and, and trying to discover more of the love of Christ, the more of God's love for me. 
It's, it's funny sometimes. We get born again, we become saved, we meet Jesus Christ, we, come, we, we, we collide with his love, and we, we fall to the power of his love, and then it's like the longer we live saved, the longer it's like, man, I forgot what it's like to be loved by Jesus sometimes. Doesn't happen with everybody, but it sure does happen with a lot of us. But that love is compelling. When you, when you have been confronted with the love of Christ, when you have been invaded with the love of Christ, that unconditional love of Jesus Christ, who knows everything there is to know about you, but yet loves you anyway and is willing to save your soul, rescue you and deliver you, that's hard to turn down. That's hard to turn away. That's hard to ignore. That's hard to, to just resist and continue to insist that we get our own way. For some reason or another, we do that sometimes. But Paul here in, the, in, in, this, in this letter to the Romans, he says, look, the, this good news, this gospel, it's the power of God to save you. For those who believe, if you believe this, not that just this, this is just some good book, some good story, but no, in this lies the power of true salvation. He says, if you believe this, if you trust it, if you rely on it, you, you go all in on this. You sink your life into the gospel. You sink your life into the good news, the scandalous grace of God. And you let him in, and you let him rule, and you let him wreck your world. You let him into the dark places of your heart. You let him know every secret there is to know, even though he already knows, but you acknowledge that he knows that's the change factor. That's the X factor right there. Is that you let him know. You... you Tell yourself, okay, now I get it. You know all there is about me. Yet you want me, yet you desire me, yet you love me. Absolutely. Yes. He says, and if you will believe that, then here's what happened. You'll be saved. And here's the thing about salvation. It is not just about getting your ticket punched to heaven. I've often heard and said that, man, if that were the case, then why didn't we just go beam me up Scotty when he saved us? Because part of what we're going to talk about at the end is the Great Commission. He leaves us here with a purpose. He, he puts us on this planet with a mission. He has a purpose for every single one of our life. And in that mission is your story. He says, if you believe it, you'll become saved. Salvation is you get, you get, you get your life opened up to the, de the, the deliverance of God. God will deliver you from any stronghold. You open your life up to Christ, and he saves you, he will heal your brokenness. We, we all have brokenness in us. We, we're all broken people. Many of us are broken in different ways, but the, the truth remains is that Christ Jesus is a healer of our brokenness. There's so many of us on this planet which adds up to a whole lot of brokenness in this world. But it is so amazing that's why our God is so great, is because he is so great at healing brokenness inside of our souls. He can heal every single thing there is wrong about us. And friend, I want to tell you today that if you, you don't know Jesus in that way, then I implore you to open your life up to him in that way so that you will know what true healing is all about, so that you will know what real forgiveness is is all about, so that you will know what real deliverance is all about, so that you will know the rescuing power of God in your life, that you don't have to be alone. In fact, you're not alone in your, in your brokenness. You're not alone in your emptiness. You're not alone in the place of life where you are. Christ is here, and he wants to be inside of you because he wants to help you and he wants to set you right. He wants to make you whole. And that doesn't mean like, hey, you're telling me that I got all these problems. Listen, we all got problems. If we'd all just be honest and not play church but be church, we'd realize that this is a good place to be for us. It's a safe place to be. That in the presence of God there is fullness of joy and there is healing and wholeness that comes from letting him know I got issues. You got issues, I got issues, all God's children got issues. The good news is God is the one who can make it all right, if we'll believe it. So Paul says the power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, to save you, to heal you, to deliver you, to, to, to heal you, all those things. But he also says this in that, in that scripture, he says it, that the gospel is also has power to make you right with God, to make you righteous. 
put you in right standing with God to where your conscience is clean. I don't know about you, but I like going to bed at night with a clean conscience. And I like waking up with a clean conscience. And, but through the day, sometimes my conscience can get, can get muddy, right? It can get fuzzy. But there's always the one who will make it right. We can be in right standing with God, made righteous. The, uh, Paul tells us in Corinthians as well, he says, hey, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, here's what that means. When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. When God looks at you, he does not see your failures. When God looks at you, he does not see your shortcomings. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a liar. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a gossiper. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a pervert. When God looks at you, he doesn't see this. When God looks at you, he doesn't see that. When God looks at you in Christ, he sees righteousness. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a drug addict. When God looks at you, he sees someone free because Christ is free. Amen. When God looks at you, he doesn't see someone who hates people. God looks at you, he sees someone who loves people because Christ is in you. You see, that's what it means to be in right standing with God, is to allow God to look upon you and you bear yourself, but knowing Christ Jesus, wow, that was strong, when Christ Jesus is in your life, I wish I could see without these, but I can't, when Christ Jesus is in your life, then God sees the righteousness of Jesus covering you. That's what salvation brings, friends, and it brings fulfillment. Paul says here in Romans, he said, and it's, and it's from start to finish. In other words, there's not a part of your life that God cannot complete and will not complete. In fact, he, the good work he has begun, it tells us, that he will finish until Jesus Christ comes back. He's always working on me. Tell your neighbor, he's always working on me. That we are all a work in progress. And that is good news because that means none of us have made it. None of us have arrived in the moment. Any one of us think that we're all that and we made it, here's what happens. That's called pride, and pride comes before a fall. But humility brings God's grace. Amen? So the gospel is how we find this new life. But there's another aspect called the gathering, the church. Not a church service, don't misinterpret that, but the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. The gathering is how we learn to live this new life. Let's look at this scripture in Acts chapter 2. The beginning of the church says this, verse 41, Peter just preached, it's the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit upon the earth, Peter preached, 3,000 people saved, it says this, those who believed with Peter, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and they were added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all, now that's a baptism service right there, I mean come on, they had to be near some, a pool or something uh, at this location. Because it said they were baptized, man, in that day, not only the fire of God fall, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, but also the, the outward uh, manifestation of salvation. They were baptized, water baptized, in, in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it says about 3,000 in all. That's a lot of people. Went from 120 praying in the upper room. Went from about this many people, a few more, praying in the upper room. And then suddenly, Peter preaches, 3,000 people become saved. That's church growth in a moment right there, I'll tell you. That's the church growing fast. But it happened because the Holy Spirit was there. And it said this, verse 42, it says, all, can you say all? It said, all the believers devoted themselves to these things right here, to the apostles' teaching, the word of God, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says, and a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And it goes on to describe different, the different interactions that they began to have with each other as the church, as the community, as the gathering of God. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. 25 years of being saved, 25 years of also being in church. 25 years of being in the church. I've really only been a part of two churches my whole life as far as truly in, a member of and, and, and intentionally engaged in. That was the church we came from in Memphis, Christ the Rock, formerly known as Christ the Rock. Or as my good friend Jeremy says, the artist formerly known as Christ the Rock. And I see you, you wore your purple today. It's in honor of Prince, I'm sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you just like purple. It's good. Purple's good. 
it's called Renewal Church now. Haley and I were there last weekend, had a chance to minister and be with them and, the, and the, those friends. It was a good time. That church and then this church. Uh, two churches in 25 years. And, you know, the thing about being in church any length of time is you, you have a lot of experiences, a lot of good stuff. But here's the thing, guys. I've been hurt in church. I've been hurt in, in, in church. And I pastor. I didn't, I didn't run. I didn't isolate. Didn't pull myself away. Didn't use this pulpit to dog people out. Right? Or anything like that. But here's what I want to tell you the reason that is. Is because I was also healed in church. The family of God brings healing. Family gets on your nerves, right? You, sorry, it's okay, kids. You, you can be honest here. Mama ain't going to slap you in church. It's a Mother's Day, too. So, you, you, know, you know, that ain't going to happen, so. But right, family gets on each other's nerves. Family says some things sometimes that we don't mean, right? Family does things sometimes that just didn't right. I get that. But family loves one another. The church is God's family. So being hurt in church happens. But healing happens if you allow yourself to be healed. I've been helped a whole lot in church. Been helped a whole lot through the, through the body of Christ. Helped me out a lot. A lot of people been there for me, a lot of people who've believed in me, a lot of people who've been over backwards for me, a lot of people who made sacrifices for me, a lot of people who prayed for me, a lot of people who set me straight, a lot of people spoke the truth, a lot of people helped me, but here's the, here's the cool thing too, I was hitched in church, I got married in church, yep, hitched, I had to use the H's, healed, I was hurt, healed, helped, hitched, I just had to keep going with the H. I just had to go with the H. <laughs> 18 years ago, last Tuesday, or last Monday, May 2nd, Haley and I were married. 18 years ago, celebrate 18 years. Um, but here's, here's the thing. She's grew, she grew up in church. I didn't really grow up in church. I grew up in and out until about 25 years ago. Then my family and all of us were just like, boom, in it for good. But we all have experiences. And let me, let me tell you this. Whatever has bothered you about church life, church people, any of that stuff, let me just encourage you. Walk in love. Forgive quick. Don't hold on to grudges. Amen? Let the offenses go. Have those face-to-face -face conversations. Don't ignore people. Sometimes people don't know they hurt your feelings. And if you just can't swallow it and get on with it, then have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation with people. That's what Matthew 18 tells us to do. That's what relationships, that's what family, that's what the church is supposed to do to be there with each other. Because you read the rest of this text in Acts chapter 2, it said how they loved each other, cared for each other, and all that stuff. It said they went on, the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. And the message version says people on the outside generally liked what they saw on the inside. And so God pulled their heart in because they liked what they saw. I don't know about, I, I, yeah, I do know about you as a church. For New Life Church, I can speak for us. I want people in Jackson to like what they see happening in us. Not just in this gathering, but what happens inside of us. Amen? And, and, and the thing about this, about the gathering, is, is it's, they devoted themselves. It said all of them, all 3,000 of them, devoted themselves to, to these things, to the Word of God. They opened their life up to be taught. They began to realize that they needed instruction and how it would actually apply to life. And so being in the church 25 years has taught me a lot about God's Word. A whole lot about His Word. It's taught me how to read it. Taught me how to understand it. Taught me how to share it. Teach me how to live it. All right? Because then it says they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, fellowship in our day and time, especially down south, it, 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 we automatically think of picnics and playgrounds and barbecues. All right? But that's not what they had in mind when they used this word. This word, this is what this word means, fellowship. An association of close relationships and involvement with one another. Here's what it implies. It implies intimacy. 
It implies trust. This word fellowship implies sharing. And it implies harmony with one another. Now that sounds a whole lot more, uh, it's a more descriptive than just hanging out and having a barbecue, doesn't it? Because it's easy to hide ourselves in a facade at a picnic, in a barbecue, or at a, at, a, at a hangout spot or whatever, right? But this word implies they devoted themselves to fellowship. In other words, they gave themselves to each other. Close relationship. Being involved in each other's lives. And friends, that's, that's one of my biggest dreams for our church overall, as, as God continues to bless us and be with us and grow us, that we would continue to grow together. That we would grow together, a part of each other's life, involved in one another's life. Because see, here's what, here's what being in church for 25 years has taught me. Taught, one of the things is this, is about fellowship, is it, it, it's taught me that I can't do life by myself. It's taught me that I can't, I can't do life by myself because fellowship challenges me. Fellowship brings a, a measure of challenge to me that, hey, I don't have life nailed down. I don't have it cornered. I don't know how to do it all. As well trained and equipped and, and, and raised by my parents, there are parts of life that I still miss and I still mess up. To say you can do church by yourself is a lot... I think is a lot like saying, well, I, I, can be, uh, I can be a good parent without having any kids. No, you can't. You crazy. Because I used to think, man, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be, be good at this thing. You get three girls. You realize, man, I stink at this dad thing. I'm not as good at it as I thought I was. I mean, you, you got three girls, all different ages, all calling your name at the same time, and all three wanting something different at the same time. Now, I know those of you who have seven, eight, nine, God bless you. <laughs> and that's why I go hang out at the Varghese house, because I watch mom and dad, I watch Thomas and Tina, how they do, and I'm like, man, I want to be like that. See, but I can't be like that if I'm not around that. It's fellowship, right? Fellowship also, not only does it challenge me, but fellowship, it changes me. It helps me realize I can do better whatever, in whatever area of life. As a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a believer, it helps me to understand when I'm around some other people who really got it going on, who've got that part of life nailed down and God's grace is great in their life, it teaches me that I can change. But here's the, the opposite side of that. Many of us, oftentimes, especially in today's society, we don't want that kind of relationship and fellowship because we don't want the change. And I tell you, if I, if I was to remain stubborn over these last 25 years and not change... I wouldn't be a pastor. If I, was, if I was one, I wouldn't be a very good one at all because I wouldn't have been taught and I wouldn't have learned from anybody else. I wouldn't be a, a, a husband, a father. I don't know what I would be or what I would do, but all I know is that this thing works. God ordained the church. He set it in motion, and the gathering works. It brings me the truth of God's word, the foundation of life, but it brings me a close-knit relationship with God's people that challenges me and changes me and it also convicts me. It lets me know when I'm around some other people who are better at this than I am, it pricks my heart. And I'm not talking about other pastors. I'm talking about people right here in this circle that I hang out with some of you. God's spirit in you convicts me. And it makes me want to have more of what you have. Fellowship. But it's also good because it brings good friendship. And it makes me feel accepted. We all want to be accepted, right? We all want to be a part, and that's what this fellowship brings. But they also devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer, our communication, our lifeline with God. I like to say this often, you've heard me say it, but a church that prays together 
stays together and a church that stays together grows together. So 25 years of being in, the, in church has taught me to pray, taught me the value of prayer, taught me the understanding of prayer, taught me that without a prayer life, I cannot know God. We need to know and to, ha- and to be people of prayer. Amen? So here's the challenge. Devote your life to the gathering, being involved. Now, listen, not just a church service. This is just one aspect of church. Too many people come and stop here, and they don't go any deeper. You got to go deeper if you want to go further. You got to go deeper if you want to go further. I'll say it again. You got to go deeper if you want to go further. Amen? Because you'll never fulfill your purpose unless you go deeper because you'll never go further in what God has for your life. So the challenge is, despite what we face in this society today, to be, to be alone, to be by ourselves, to close the door, to be standoffish, to go to work, come home, close the door, close the garage, close the blinds, hide in the dark, eat our food, and just kind of be all by ourselves every single day or what have you. No, do not do that. Resist the urge to isolate Resist the urge to seclude yourself, and especially when you're going through something. Can I talk to you on that? Especially when you're going through something. Don't pull away. That's when you need to push in. That's when you need to plug in. That's when you need to make sure your life is planted in the house of God. Psalm 92 tells us those who plant themselves in the house of God will flourish in their life. Plant yourself in the house of God because here's what happens. When you devote yourself to the gathering, to the church, to the community of God, you'll begin to walk in your destiny. Because destiny is not just something that exists. Destiny is a decision that you and I make based on what does God want to do with my life. Well, you discover that when you go deeper into God's family. In closing, our last point here is this. That if the gospel is how we find new life, the gathering is how we learn to live this new life, this saved life, the Great Commission is how God uses each of us to bring new life to other people. Let's look at this in Matthew 28. Final words of Christ in red. To his disciples, Jesus came. He told his disciples, verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven, And on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. Discovering that God can, could, and would use my life to reach, teach, and lead others into a new life with Christ is pretty amazing. I'm, come from, I'm someone who, growing up, could not stand to stand in front of people. I hated being in front of people. Butterflies. Upset stomach. Nerves going crazy. But that's how God uses me today, is to be a pastor, not just speak, but to be in front of people to be a leader in people's lives. It's great responsibility, heavy responsibility, major. Because pastors aren't supposed to have that card where you just kind of like, you know, make excuses like other public leaders do and not take any responsibility. We don't really get that option. Not if we want to be good at it. I want to be good at this. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good leader to you because I want my God, my Father, to tell me when I, when I see him, and he says, you know, you did a good job. You were good and you were faithful. Now come on in. Enter into the joy of your master. I want him making me up some fat pad, some rich, heavenly paradise pad that when I get in there, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is it. Because may he find me faithful in what I'm doing. Amen. But I sensed God's call the summer after I graduated high school. was on a mission trip. And I've been fortunate now for 18 years. This is my 18th year of full-time vocational ministry. I mean, this is how I, I earn my living. Preaching, pastoring, leading in the church. 
18 years now. Eight years privileged to be here, a part of this family, a part of this church. And I, I thank God every day. I tell Prentice every week, I'm so amazed at God's faithfulness to our church. I'm so amazed that those of you who have followed us and put your trust in us to be your pastors, it means a whole lot. It really means a whole lot. And may I be faithful until the day the Lord takes me. I want to be faithful. And obviously I wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. I know it's cliches to say that, but we really wouldn't. We wouldn't be here without our mothers. And in this closing part, I, I, I want to just have a small tribute to Mother's Day. And I want to talk to you what I call the mission, the mission of motherhood. Obviously, I can't speak from experience. I speak as a product of a mother. But we're going to look through the, through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in these final moments. I just want to say, just want to lay out these five things to you about the mission of motherhood. Number one is this stick with it and stay with it no matter what. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew's account showed that Mary almost became a single mom. So Joseph found out what was going on. He's like, no, that ain't right. I'm, you're you're going to be my wife and you're. You're saying you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit? What? That never happened. And it won't ever happen. Don't ever find anybody's inquire story pregnant by the Holy Spirit because that's bogus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Mary. It's the only way it worked. But she almost became a single mom and the Lord had to, Joseph had to fall asleep and the Lord visited him in a dream and he said basically, Joseph, what's going on is real. What's going on is of me. You need to get on board with this. You need to get on board with this. But to single moms and moms everywhere, stick with it. Stay with it no matter what. Because your influence of who you are, it matters. And on some days, as moms, when you think you're doing a cruddy job. I want to tell you, I've learned even that with just a, a nine-year-old, they forgive quickly, and they forget fast. Stick with it. Be encouraged to stay. Your mistakes, that's not who you are. God is big in you. God is big in you. Stick with it, stay with it no matter what. And I just want to tell my mom, Mom, thank you for sticking with it and staying with it no matter what. See, I got saved at 16. She had me at 16. She worked, she clawed, she prayed, she did all she could. She stuck with it. She stayed with it. Thank you. Number two, show faith. Mission of motherhood, show faith by this, by believing that God has a great plan for your children. And that the Holy Spirit, believe that the Holy Spirit is, is, is present to help you, to help you raise your children. See, Luke's account of this whole scenario, this whole story, was that an angel, vis Gabriel, visited Mary. And he told her, he said, don't be afraid. In other words, have faith. He said, that child that's in you is going to be great. In other words, there's a great plan for his life. She's like, well, how can this even possibly come about? Don't, don't worry, have faith. The Holy Spirit will be on you. The Holy Spirit will help you. And moms, I want to tell you this. Mission of motherhood, have faith, show faith. Believe that God has a great purpose, a plan for your children. Continue to believe that. And always rely, have faith that the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you to help you. There will be moments, as you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, shoot. I'm telling you just as a, as a product of this, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. Mom, thank you for calling on the Holy Spirit and relying on the Holy Spirit to help you be there for me and raise me and just for 
allowing the Holy Spirit to just invade our life and be a part of our family. Number three, mission of motherhood. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Surround yourself with like-minded people. In Luke's account in chapter 2, Luke 2, he described it this way. He said, the baby Jesus was born in a manger. Born in a manger. The conditions, the environments, the atmosphere, it was not ideal. No, that's not what Mary would have wanted. But it was all they had. It was all they had. And you know, sometimes things are not ideal. Sometimes situations are not ideal. Sometimes the surroundings, they're not what you want. But it is what you have. But here's what Mary did. She surrounded herself with shepherds and angels. So the shepherds and the angels came, surrounded them gave praise to God and just encouraged them, loved on them. Shepherds and angels. Today, those shepherds and angels would be pastors and church family. Circle yourself with the right kind of people. Allow the family of God to envelop you, encircle you, love on you, encourage you. There's moms here that have been there, done that, have knocked it out of the park many times. They could help you. They could show you that, hey, it's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. So don't bother circling yourself with people who aren't there to add to you. If people are in your life, they're not there to add good to you, then begin to put some distance between you and them. Because you're just going to breed negativity. You're going to breed failure. You're going to breed frustration. You're going to feel like you never measure up. But make sure the right people in your life that circle you, that are closest to you, are people who believe the best about you as moms. Don't listen, don't listen to your, don't bend your ear to people who don't. Mom, I want to thank you for doing that, for circling our, my life, our family with, with the church. I know it took a few years, but you found the way. And you said, today's the day, now's the time. And I appreciate you sticking with that and, and making me go to church when I didn't want to go to church. Making me stay with it, making me go to a youth group where I didn't think anybody would like me. And I became their youth pastor years later. Thank you for surrounding us with the right kind of people. For Mission of Mother, I'm almost done, I'm almost done, I promise. Shelter the good moments and the God moments in your heart. Moms, shelter the good moments and the God moments in your heart and always think about those things. In Luke's gospel, it said that from the time Jesus was born until he was 12, it said Mary, two times in this passage of Scripture, said that she hid these things in her heart and thought about them often. At his dedication, and then when he was 12, when he was preaching in the temple to all the real smart religious people, said she hid those moments. Shelter those good moments and those God moments in your heart and don't ever let them go away. Mom, thank you for doing that. You always have been good about it. At the right time, you'd always give me something that, from my childhood that, that, that meant a lot to us. It brought back good memories. I know you like to throw a lot of stuff away, but you, you never threw away the good memories. <laughs> she's not a hoarder, so if you need something cleaned out, she's your girl. But you, you always kept the good memories and those God memories, and you always made sure you got them to me. I appreciate that. I really do. Lastly, mission of motherhood. Stand with your children in their dark moments. I know you don't want to believe that your kids are going to have some dark moments in life, but it's qu the, the quicker we get, we understand that they're going to have some dark moments. You get over it and you get through it. But stand with them in their dark moments. And, and, and John's gospel said that in John 19, it said, Mary was standing near the cross of Jesus. Mary was standing with Jesus in his dark moment. Along with some other family and friends. 
There she was having to witness the darkest day of her son's life. But she was standing there with him. And I believe she was able to stand there with him because she held on to those good and those God moments. See, it's those good moments and those God moments that will help carry you and your children through the dark moments. They, and I know when, when, when our kids aren't making the right decisions, they're not making the right calls, they're, they're, they're making their mistakes, trying to learn their way in life and can get their own independence and, and not that struggle for all, that, all those things. It's, you hang on to those good moments, those God moments, because when they have those dark moments, it's those good moments and those God moments that you'll be able to give them. You'll be able to share with them and you'll be able to help them to see that somewhere over the rainbow is better. When you get through the storm, the sun will be shining. Mom, I want to thank you for standing with me in some of my dark moments of life, believing in me, holding my hand, praying for me, always believing the best about me, even when you knew I was rotten. You stood there with me. And you saw me through some dark moments. And I want to thank you for that. The mission of motherhood. It's probably one of the greatest, again, I can't speak from experience. I can watch my wife now mother our three children. And I can only imagine that's got to be one of the hardest things to do is to be a mom. One of the most rewarding things, I can imagine that too, but difficult. But from a dude... From a guy, from a son, from a pastor. Moms, we salute you. We salute every one of you. You put up with a whole lot of mess. And you probably don't get half the credit you deserve. But I want you to know that if you will continue to live your story through the gospel, keeping your family in the church, and making sure your lives are on target with what God has. The crazy, messed up, the confusing parts of life. They're going to make sense. And you're going to be able to tell that story to somebody. Jesus is going to get glorified in it. And that somebody, they're going to know what new life in Christ is all about because... It's your story. It's Him in you. And I want to leave you with this. God wants to use your story for His glory. He wants to use your story for His glory. Amen.